Welcome to When Burnout Becomes Reality, a podcast that combines lived experience with the scientific knowledge of burnout to help listeners prevent, recover and grow from burnout. My name is Shannon Swales, a human and clinical psychologist with both lived experience and scientific knowledge and skills in burnout. It is my hope that the values of authenticity, compassion, wisdom and community shine through in each and every episode of the pod. Episodes that share my own and others lived experiences of burnout and interviews expert guests to help listeners build awareness and hope to prevent, recover and grow from burnout. The views, opinions, tips and the like expressed by myself or my guests are not a replacement of personalised therapy. Just like I have done for myself and many of my guests, I encourage those of you that are suffering to seek professional help. Hi, and welcome to episode 26. This episode provides the listener with the opportunity to learn from clinical psychologist Rebecca Black. She shares with us two very important areas that are associated with burnout, and that is dealing with our schemas namely unrelenting standards, and also chronic illness, focusing on fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. For those who don't know, schemas are mental structures of preconceived ideas, a framework representing aspects of the world or a system of organising and perceiving new information. The great thing about having Rebecca on the pod is that she has lived experience of both of these things, chronic illness, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and also dealing with her unrelenting standards. She blends both her lived experiences and also her expertise as a clinical psychologist in this episode, guiding us through understanding these elements, understanding the chronic stress load and ways in which to approach and start to overcome these things. So Grab a drink, tea, coffee, whatever you'd like to, uh, and sit back and listen to this episode. And thank you for following When Burnout Becomes Reality podcast. Hi, Rebecca, and welcome to the pod. How are you going this morning? Hello, thank you for having me. I am good this morning. It's really beautiful and sunny here over in SA, so it feels like it's going to be a glorious day. Oh, fantastic to hear. Same here as well. Brisbane's been having these glorious blue days, but also cold again. And it's oh. September. <laughs> like, Oh, weird. I know. It's like winter. We're just going to come back and just touch a little bit before we go away for good for the next five months. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm glad that you're having lovely weather down there in um, SA as well. Uh, so, uh First of all, I was wondering if you can give us a bit of a snapshot of who Rebecca Black is, uh, sharing a bit about your, yeah, I suppose your professional journey and and where relevant personal journey, just to yeah help us get to know you and what brings yeah. you here. Beautiful, I can do that. So I am a clinical psychologist. I run my own solo private practice, which is predominantly telehealth. Uh, And there I work with uh, therapists and health professionals on some of the patterns that they might have. Um, And I also work with people who might have diagnoses of chronic health conditions like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. And I also have a a second business, which is called Sustainable Therapists. It's a coaching business. Uh, And there I work with therapists again. So uh, psychologists, health professionals, And we focus on creating a sustainable career and a sustainable life. So one where, you know, their lives are abundant and energetic and um, joyful and fulfilled, all of those Mm. lovely, beautiful things that we're all usually looking for. Um, So that's very much the work that I do. And obviously, I'm sure you would be thinking that involves a bit of burnout in there as well. (laughs) Um, So a bit of overlap with what you do too. But I guess... On the personal level, the reason why I'm so 
in this space and why I love working in this space and why it's so important and nourishing to me um, is that I was diagnosed with chronic health conditions myself. Mm. Um, so about 15-ish years ago now, I was mm. diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and very soon after mm. fibromyalgia as well. And then a few other conditions that came through that yeah. journey as well, but they were the, the predominant ones. Mm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time not just going through that journey, but really delving into the research mm. of it, trying to understand what was happening for me and implementing all of the strategies that I possibly could mm. <laughs> to try to heal myself. And yeah. um, now I'm at a point where I I can say I no longer meet criteria for any of those chronic health wow. conditions, which is very cool. And mm. against what most people told me as I went through that journey, um, and I feel really called now to help people create sustainable lives, healthy lives, yeah. lives where um, they can be free of, of burnout or these conditions of uh, chronic health conditions yeah. that people can have. And um, at the moment, I'm really excited about working with health professionals in particular, yeah. because I know there's a beautiful flow on effect then yeah. um, where they can help their clients become more sustainable and, and mm. heal and, you know, not go through the 15 year experience that, that I had to go through. Yeah. Well, that's so really beautiful. Like it's really out of your lived experience and healing yourself and, and working on that, you know, that 15 years that brings you to the space of almost like yeah, passing it on, you know, being able to, uh, help others and particularly with health professionals um, in, in that area and that's how I connected with you seeing you in the, the social media space with at sustainable therapists um, that was it yeah the first connection and just that word sustainable and hearing that's what you help people with sustainable living sustainable working um, it's yeah um, that word is just so important to me. And that's what stuck out. I think when I discovered yo found you, <laughs> I was just like sustainable. Yes. <laughs> um, trying to yes. find a sustainable way of, of living. And, and I see it as living, not just working, um, yes. a sustainable way of life, but obviously work comes into that. What's sustainable. And um, I'm so grateful that, yeah, that you, uh, you know, coming on the pod as well, because it's important, um, a, a, you know, part, well, not path, important part that just brings up in around burnout and uh, the chronic stress is uh, these chronic illnesses like you've been through the chronic fatigue and and fibromyalgia that this is sometimes what uh, I've noticed other people experiencing burnout have as as well so yeah I'm so grateful that you come and share your wisdom on that so yeah do you mind sharing a little bit about I suppose those 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 chronic illnesses um, chronic fatigue and, and fibromyalgia yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, in the research space and um, and amongst health professionals, there's a lot of, I guess, missing consistency around what these are and where they come from and how they develop. Um, mm -hmm. But what we do know is chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia both present with very similar symptoms. So often there's, unsurprisingly, based on the name, quite a bit of fatigue. Um, yes a bit of pain as well. So pain goes across both of them. Fibromyalgia is one that typically does have pain. Um, yeah. Sometimes people with chronic fatigue syndrome won't, um, but there's certainly fatigue in the fibromyalgia um, experience as well. There's often things like brain fog. Um, mm. People often have migraines and headaches. There's often IBS issues as well, sleep disturbances. There's so many different aspects that come along with these experiences and mm. really if it's okay, I might talk a little bit about why they kind of sit in our body or what kind of happens yes, when they develop. Do. Yeah, because it, it applies quite a bit to burnout as well. And I, I try not to, sorry. But, but yeah, actually, as you were describing all those symptoms and the, the differences and similarities across those two chronic illnesses, I was like, well, God, that's most of my clients, myself. I'm like, yes. fog, um, IBS issues, uh, the fatigue. I'm like, tick, tick, tick. Like, yes. so, yeah, that. I think this is often the really hard and frustrating and can be frustrating part of sort of deciphering these different diagnoses and the crossovers that they they have. Anyway, so yeah, please keep sharing um, yeah. what's, yeah, that you, yeah, know. It's great that you say that actually because 
I try really hard when I'm working with people not to get too caught up in the overanalyzing part of it because it can be really easy for us to kind of go why do I have this and I have to learn every single thing about it and what's Mm -hmm. what's this HPA axis that I need to read about or like there's all of these I guess a real depth that we try to go into to understand Mm -hmm. ourselves but sometimes that actually takes away from us doing the healing because we're busy just trying to know and know and know and know instead of heal I totally agree too. finding that balance. Yes. Okay. You know, and you did did the same in your healing practices, you know, going to find out the, you know, information, exploring and understanding the why, but not letting it take over the other important parts. We can still even heal without knowing the depths of, of, of why, right. You know, there's, uh, yeah, there's still healing we can do because we are aware that, well, we're feeling fatigued in the moment where we're, um, you know, the brain fog, all that kind of stuff. There are some healing practices that health professionals like ourselves can help help people with. Yeah. yeah anyway, so absolutely. yeah, definitely such an important yes. point. I'm glad that you brought yes, that. Yes, absolutely. So I try to keep, because of that, I do really try to keep my explanations like as simple as possible rather than going into the depths of all the chemicals and things like that that might mm. be happening or what might be happening to neurotransmitters or things like that. So yeah. To explain it, I normally go back to caveman days. So mm-hmm. if any of my clients are listening, they will laugh because I constantly say, we're going back to caveman days again <laughs> because <laughs> it is so important because this is when our brains were wired to be the way that they are now. Mm-hmm. And in caveman days, what really mattered was survival, right? So we're, we're so focused on we have to survive. Um, we pass on our genes so that our, our species survives, um, mm-hmm. but individually we need to survive to do that. And so, as we know, if a if a tiger comes out in front of us in caveman days, our fight or flight system is activated and that fight or flight system, the amygdala in the brain switches on and says, right, we've got to activate a bunch of stuff in the body. So we're going to be experiencing um, adrenaline and cortisol, all of those beautiful hormones that allow us to then run mm-hmm. or fight the tiger. So we have that fight or flight experience and what would happen is we either we, we try to run away, right? And we mm. either die, which then none of this matters, mm. or we survive. Mm. And when we survive, for whatever reason, you know, maybe we outran them or maybe, you know, we had other people come and help us mm. with the tiger. We have this moment of going, oh, no, like we were close to not surviving. The mm. primary thing that we're here for, we almost didn't do. And so now I need to be on hyper alert to make sure that I survive if this tiger is to come out again. Mm-hmm. And so we know that then we might be going out in our day-to-day and if the bush rustles next to us, we're like, oh, no, there's a tiger. Or if if there's a snap of a twig nearby, tiger. And so where each time that that happens, that fight or flight response is becoming triggered. So mm-hmm. our central nervous system, which governs that fight or flight response, and our immune system that's connected to it as well, mm-hmm. they're activated in those moments. Mm-hmm. So we start to have these triggerings again and again and again. And, and typically in caveman days, after a while, we would realize we're safe. The tiger's mm-hmm. not coming back. It was a once-off moment. We're okay. And, and we kind of go back to homeostasis. Our body goes back to, to this beautiful balance. Mm. But in the real world, <laughs> in this world now, we are faced with so many tigers. There are so many tigers in front of us. So we have, you know, work deadlines. We might have relationship stresses. We might be managing parenting. There's so many things that can mm-hmm. trigger that same response in our body, that fight or flight response, mm-hmm. and triggering it consistently again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, in chronic illnesses like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, there is typically a... Um, viral component to it so often Mm. people who have these experiences will have had something like glandular fever um, Mm. known as like Epstein-Barr virus or Ross River virus Mm -hmm. or now we're looking at you know COVID and long COVID in that um, space as well Um, and that that's like a physical stress on the body Mm. but when they've healed from that or they're starting to come out of that experience we just go back to these stresses again right we go back to now I've got deadlines at work and I'm mm. doing all the parenting and I can't just lay in bed all day the way that I, I was when I was perhaps feeling unwell. Mm. And so the body starts to get stuck 
in this mm-hmm. loop, in this experience of fight or flight being activated and then being hypervigilant, being on edge, being ready and prepared mm-hmm. for that tiger to come again. Mm-hmm. And when we get stuck in that loop again and again and again, I mean, if we go back to caveman days and imagine if you were running from that tiger nonstop, mm-hmm. if you were running for a day, mm-hmm. two days, three days, eventually the body's going to have to step in a bit here and give you a very loud message Mm. eventually we're going to collapse Mm. we're not going to be able to keep running Mm. Um, and so this is what we often see when we we get to that burnout space or the chronic illness is that real like i just can't keep going the same as we would visually imagine if we were running non-stop Mm. from a tiger and Mm. unfortunately with chronic illness we we also end up with our bodily symptoms becoming the tiger, our bodily symptoms are the trigger. Mm. We, we get a bit tired or we become, um, you know, we might have a heart palpitation or we might have some pain mm. and then we become hypervigilant for that. And that yes. keeps us stuck in this cycle of burnout and the body just mm. keeps having to give these messages of please stop, please stop, please stop. If mm. you're not going to stop doing all of these things, I probably need to tell you to stop by stopping you. Mm, like the the body will speak yeah 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 and we'll speak loudly it yeah. will shout if we're not listening to being tired or we're not listening to being more tearful or we're not listening to getting resentful it will eventually shout mm. and sometimes that looks like here's chronic fatigue syndrome here's fibromyalgia i'm i'm gonna make you bedridden because you're not yeah. listening thank you for that explanation i even yeah like learning bits from that as well and i was just so I might not be getting this right, but it it just sounds like it's a chronic tapping of that um, fight and flight, you know, that's happening, whether on the surface we're calling it chronic fatigue and, I mean, I might be butchering this a bit, but those are maybe how it presents. But like, and like you said, if there's been a virus too, that often you see that um, the virus that can then lead that chronic stress um, that's going on to something like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, yeah. whereas for someone else, burnout. But even people experiencing chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia can experience burnout because, like you said, the physiological symptoms become, I mean, they've got their normal everyday stresses, which can be very demanding and constantly under stress, so chronic stress, which can lead to burnout. Um, with those workload issues or life load issues, but that the chronic illness symptoms itself being a stressor, a tiger. And yeah. so that's leading them to burnout. And I did, I haven't delved into the research in that, but I have seen papers about um, burnout as a result of living with a chronic illness as well. So um, like fibromyalgia. So, or, or anything that's chronic and ongoing that someone's needing to manage that in in and of itself can become a stressor with noticing those symptomatic changes that absolutely um, so yeah like pain with fibromyalgia and I do know a few few um, loved ones with that condition and and the yeah. physical pain that you said that is often prominent symptom in that um yeah, yeah that's something they do report that nerve pain um yeah, absolutely. Which and, is, and yeah. you're so right like the chronic illness burnout is is such a big thing because Mm. there is so much to manage when we have a chronic illness so Mm. not only are we desperately trying to get through day-to-day tasks when we actually don't have the capacity to Mm. do them you know the demands of the daily tasks will sometimes exceed our capacity so exceed Mm. what we have in us Mm. um but we've we're also like sorry Mm. let me gather my thoughts for a Mm. moment just being able to do those tasks is hard. Just being able to shower, just being able to cook meals or order meals or Mm. just getting out of bed to the couch. I know for me at times that was a really hard experience. Mm. But there's also like on top of that, often with chronic illnesses, we're looking at uh, multiple health appointments too. Mm -hmm. So we might have a multidisciplinary team around us. So Mm -hmm. um, we might be trying to see all of these different specialists and just getting there and having those appointments and Mm -hmm. getting home can be huge and exhausting. And then there's the loneliness, like the emotional things that come, the loneliness, the Mm -hmm. isolation, loss of identity. And we're we're having to manage that emotionally as well. And the mental load, like there's a whole mental yeah. load in, in having a chronic okay. illness. Yeah. I even remember um, mm. when 
when I used to cook in the kitchen and this was when I was quite unwell, when I would cook in the kitchen, I would automatically map out like a plan of how Mm. to get from one side of the kitchen where the fridge was Mm. to the other side of the kitchen where the pantry was and then back to the stove to cook in Mm. the least amount of steps. So I would be like grabbing the fork that I would only need at the end when I'm eating at the very start because that was near the fridge. Mm. And while I'm grabbing the things I needed out of the fridge and I'd move closer to where the plates were and it would just be this big task of kind of mapping it out so that I wouldn't be walking as much, which would be too much for my energy levels. So that mental load is just Uh, things that people never think about, that people mm. don't have to think about unless you've had a chronic health condition like that. God, thank you for for sharing that very yeah, very real experience. Just to to really share the enormity of that energy and and where you had to just just down to being in the kitchen that we you know able body people, including myself, you know, take for granted um, that you know that I can just do without thinking, and that's a mental low because you're having to problem solve that, work that out to help manage your health and well being at the time, and that yeah, that takes a load. It, it makes me think of um because I've heard of it the spoon theory yes. uh, yeah the spoon which, theory yeah I, and I learned through the chronic illness space so I learned because it's it's one that I think's come from there and and that yeah. a lot of people you know with chronic illnesses do use and I think it's such a lovely uh, especially in that space but also I think in general to um because yeah the spoon theory you probably can explain it better than I can but it's just essentially, you know, if, if I remember it rightly, is is how much energy we wake up for. We have so many spoons um, per day um, in terms of energy. Uh, and I kind of, rather than seeing as spoons, I just think, you know, what's my energy levels today? And I don't even do sort of number rating, but kind of just an observing rating. But for some, and then thinking about how we distribute those spoons to what we yes. have on that day. And for someone with a chronic illness, obviously that looks very different to someone who's able-bodied, but we might be able-bodied, but maybe we're just overcoming a virus, you know, and being sick. Yes. So I think the spoon theory, thinking about our energy levels every day is regularly, is an adaptive process to help us manage and make changes where we can to our lows. But yeah, when chronically ill, I know those spoons are very, there's very little. Yes. And like you said, things like even moving around your home, having a shower, getting out of bed could take a lot of spoons, you know, and you might not, Absolutely. you might only have five that day and that can take all of those, you know, having a shower, yeah. getting out of bed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depending and and on- you can, you can borrow from the day, the next day sometimes, yes. but if you borrow, then you've only got one spoon for the next day. Like it, yes. it, That's, it's a really thank, tricky thing to navigate. Thank you. I always forget about that borrowing because that then, um, that really helps put into uh, context what often I see and did myself with what contributed to my burnout, which yeah. was overextending myself. Yes, I was borrowing from yes. the next day energy I didn't have. And I did that way too often, which, you know, <laughs> um, and I wasn't aware that that's what I was doing at the time um, or aware but ignored uh, and yeah. um, certainly contributed to my burnout amongst other things. But, yeah, I feel like it really opened up that world of really understanding so that um, also I need to understand the how or what chronic illness and particularly that fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue is but also how it relates or connects to burnout um how they kind of sort of interrelate and i really just heard that and it sort of comes this language comes from um uh the nagorski sisters who wrote a book uh, called completing sorry unlocking the secrets of the stress cycle side but the main thing that i learned from them reading their book was that we're not completing our stress cycle meaning we're not because I think about the caveman days, I often talk about, well, in caveman days, they tended to have um, periods of rest and connect and, yes. um, you know, back in their safety zone, it might be the cave and they had their family around them, their tribe. Um, there might be rituals that they were partaking in, but it was more sort of that parasympathetic nervous system, you know, helping um, with that, that central nervous system uptake with that fight and flight that they had these spaces that they could come back to so they could complete their stress cycle, that yes. fight and flight. But that often in our modern day living, like you said, there's so much going on, especially if you're living with a chronic illness, that there's no sort of, yeah, like where, when do you complete the stress cycle? Like, you know, when do you get 
and um, or putting in place or even knowing that we need to put in place these rest, connect, play, have fun, um, and again, which are huge challenges when you've got a chronic illness. Um, and those things can actually be really painful um, yes. or are. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I- I love that. I love that book. And I, I love that way of talking about it. I think it's really, really helpful. And as you're saying, you know, one of the main things that they talk about that one of the best things that we can do to complete the stress cycle is physical movement. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately yes. for people with chronic health conditions, particularly chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, well, movement isn't possible. Movement can cause harm. And so the thing that we really need to complete the stress cycle, we can't actually access as easily. So it's, it's really tricky. And it's about finding these gentle, small ways Mm. that we can actually complete that stress cycle in our day. And, and really like healing, I guess, in the chronic illness space is about being able to retrain the brain so that it's not in this cycle all the time um, so that it can actually get into those spaces you were talking about of like joy and play and and just communicating to the nervous system and the the immune system as well that it's okay we're we're safe that these aren't tigers they're actually Mm. really cute fluffy bunnies that we can Mm. pat Um, it's okay it's okay Um, and so a lot of the work that that we do is in that space do, do you mind, um, share, I suppose, elaborating a little bit more about those healing practices that help, yeah, in that chronic illness space, like being able to complete that stress cycle? You're starting to touch on them there. And I, I feel like I kind of can even with my psych brain going, oh, is it these strategies? But yeah, um, yeah if you can you know, just share maybe a couple or just what that looks like a bit more. Yeah, there's, there's actually like so many like how how long do we want to make this podcast? <laughs> <I know>. no. <laughs> just kidding because <laughs> um, it kind of yeah exactly we could do a whole whole um series on this and, and... There, there are some easier ones yeah. though yeah, um, yeah we a can... couple of ones that yeah the listeners might can grab and take with them and I think obviously listeners who in that are you know, experiencing chronic illness themselves but even those who aren't that could it, these could be other repertoire of completing the stress cycle outside of physical movement yeah just yeah. other options mm-hmm. yeah so breathing is is, is a huge yeah. one um and breathing is really i i get on my high horse about this because i feel like it's a really undervalued strategy mm. that we have it's something we always have on us and it's this beautiful thing that's it's both in our awareness it's conscious and unconscious like we mm. can consciously change our breath you can change your breathing pattern and it also happens unconsciously you will just breathe because that's part of living and we have this beautiful chance where we can actually swap to conscious to help manage that unconscious breathing that might be there Mm -hmm. because when we're in that fight or flight response we're breathing into our chest we're breathing quite fast and rapidly we're not really taking nice deep long slow breaths into our belly that communicate safety that ultimately when we're breathing into our belly, we're telling our body we're not running from that saber-toothed tiger that was chasing us before. Mm. We're okay. We're sitting with our family and friends and we're safe. Mm. Um, And so just being able to consciously bring your awareness to the breath and start to breathe down into the belly nice and slow and breathe Mm. out with quite a long out breath, that in and of itself, is so powerfully healing because it takes you from that fight or flight response into that rest and digest and Mm. heal response. So from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm. Um, And so, you know, yeah, this is something that people can do if they're bedridden. I love how you said that, communicating safety, breathing this way, communicate safety to your system. Just how you phrase it. I was like, oh, that's such a... real like yes it does but just putting it in that way just kind of oh even warms my heart like yes yeah and we you're right like um and I think as, as an early career psychologist too I undervalued the breath um yeah I don't now yeah. <laughs> but yeah and um and you know it's it's a fundamental teaching so yeah the deep and that deeper breath to bring that yeah because unconsciously as you said in that fight and flight we're breathing um shallow ways and um yeah, doing that um, deeper breath will really help support, communicate safety. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really love, I, I do talk about it like that quite quite often, no matter who I'm working with, mm. I think it's important for us to always think about 
what message am I giving my body right now? And what message is my body giving me? And just having this beautiful, Mm -hmm. loving, reciprocal Mm -hmm. experience with Mm -hmm. our nervous system, with our body. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if we are, you know, breathing really shallowly, you know, what, what is that? What message is that giving my nervous Mm -hmm. system right now? And can I change it so that it is safety? Yeah. Um, and it and gives we can control. do that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you go. I was just going to say it gives control back as well. I mean, we don't control the fact that the fight and flight has been triggered, but we, you know, having that really beautiful relationship, checking in with what, what's my body telling me and what can I, I do for my body, it gives a sense of help, like that I could do something here. I can help myself here. And, and that's so important. I hear that a lot with the burnt out clients that yes. feeling a helplessness, a hopelessness that uh, in what they're feeling and, and um, what they're going through. And this, you know, often these kind of strategies starts to give that message back that, oh, there's something I can do. <laughs> there's something yes. I can do to support my body. Who's in this chronic state at the moment is chronic stress. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, and, and was that, there another? Yeah. 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 I guess to, to go on the other side of things, mm-hmm. something that can kind of, because often, I guess, if we're in these chronic illness spaces, mm-hmm. we can often be experiencing depressive symptoms as well, because mm-hmm. obviously similar to burnout, you know, it's, yeah. it's robbed us of many of the things that we love. We're not actually able to engage in the things that bring us joy or, or mm-hmm. those kinds of experiences. So we actually do work on trying to cultivate a little bit of joy because yeah. again, when you're running from that tiger, you're mm. not kind of dancing and doing a pirouette as you're running and having these joyful experiences <laughs> along the way. You're just trying you're to in survive. survival mode. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Like, get the hell out of here. Mm. Yes, yes. And so joy is another beautiful way that we can actually communicate to our body. We must be safe because we wouldn't mm. be being joyous if we were being chased here. Yeah. Um, and recognizing that we may not be able to get the same level of joy or the same experience of joy that perhaps we've had in the past and really radically, I guess, accepting that. Mm. But are there tiny pieces of joy that I can get? Can I be a little bit playful with a partner or watch a really silly clip on Instagram? Or, you know, is there something that can just make me laugh? Um, Or is there a memory I can tap into of childhood where we did something really funny? Um, And can I connect with that and let my body feel Mm. that joy and we want to do this in like gentle bits because we also know that sometimes big experiences of joy or excitement or things like that can also trigger that fight or flight response can also feel like a bit much for the body Mm. but we just do it in these like gentle little bite-sized bits we work up Mm. to it and allow ourselves to have mm. that again sense of safety and sense of nourishment for the nervous mm, system the word nourishment yeah which is the name of your business as well part of yes. your yes <laughs> nourish yeah um yeah I love that word too that it gives back not just safety but a sense of nourishment and your wise words there too about the importance of yeah sometimes joy can be overwhelming um yeah. too much to the nervous system and I think that's something that I know I have overlooked personally but professionally so that's a really important message out there. And that's when we can do the bite-sized pieces, um, break it up to smaller moments of joy. Uh, one of the others I remember is I worked a little bit in the chronic illness space back pre, pre-burnout and uh, uh, just a few clients are working with and joy with like pets you know if they have yes. um, pets and just but like you said really allowing yourself to nourish and feel and connect um often yeah we we would talk about that and, and work on being able to attend to that moment of joy as well um and yeah like um yeah I'm just my memory's going back to to those um experiences of of clients dealing with chronic illnesses and um finding those moments of joy yeah yeah little um, glimmers little glim- yeah that word glimmers I love that I only yes. discovered that recently I love that word um because yes. then I go I see I you know I had those moments of joy those little moments and I'm like glimmer <laughs> yes I love that actually I had one this morning see I'm going off on a tangent um <laughs> one this morning. um my little dog Hannah um she comes uh most of the mornings when I'm lying out on the couch she'll come and join me and oh. um you know it's always like a little ritual of um she she likes um the fanfare she <laughs> loves attention oh, yes. um, and I love giving it to her 
and she gives it back too sometimes, but whatever. Um, she's her own woman. And um, but yeah, we were just lying there though. Um, and I I knew I had to get up soon. Um, but she was in my nook, she was just here, and oh. I just I went, this is a glimmer moment. I'm just gonna soak this up a little bit more. And I tended to her in the moment and yeah. Oh. But knowing that word and and knowing that value of the importance to nourish your soul, it all helps me take. And hopefully those who are listening, you know, be able to take those moments that are there. We just, yeah, we don't necessarily know the value of attending to them or, um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. in positive psychology, they use a beautiful word, savoring. Like oh, that word. Savoring those moments. Yeah. So actually yeah. just allowing that moment, even after it's finished. So even after mm. your gorgeous dog come came out of your nook just well to be I had able to, to I had to move it. her because I had to get oh. up and do my work you know go to work or go to work oh, I work from home but <laughs> I was yes. like but I put it like yeah so I had to disturb her slumber she would not move um till oh. time. um <laughs> that's my oh, bless. yeah that's so yeah. sweet mm. uh, but but you could still even attend to that now like we could close our eyes and you could remember mm. what that felt like and really soak that in and savor that moment like there's so many beautiful ways that we can do that for ourselves mm. that's so beautiful so thank you for sharing those two what seems so small but gives so much our yes. breath um, and breathing in that deep, um, slow way. And, you know, that gives back that sense of safety, but then also to attend to little moments of joy, um, glimmers, um, yes. and attending to that and, and finding that. And like you said, sometimes that can be really hard because living with mm. a chronic illness or even living with burnout, we can be experiencing depression as well. And, and so that makes it really hard. And that's where working with a therapist who can help with that is so important to guide you with those practices and help yeah. support you getting, getting to that space. I, I feel like they're sort of shifting attention a little bit here, but so staying on the same track, because I know another area that you work in and, and that I, I wanted you on the pod for as well to share that wisdom was around dealing with the mind, um, which yes. in the, I imagine in the, I, I know in the burnout space, but the chronic illness space, just in the chronic stress space um, and life, we don't even need to have just life. <laughs> Yes. Dealing with our mind, um, you know, and I know you use the word schemas, but yeah, I suppose just turning towards that and talking to um, dealing with the mind and, and um, yeah, I don't even know how else to articulate that, but can you, yeah, sort of share and even maybe starting if you're okay with how that might have showed up in, in your healing from chronic illness and with what was showing up and what you were dealing with in your mind and how you worked with that. Cause that's yeah. a, we know as psychologists, you know, that's in, and mental health professionals know this out there and a lot of other people like our mind in it, in and of itself can be contributing to that stress as well and contributing to our mood states and, and, and our other feeling states. So it's a really important aspect. So yeah, absolutely taking us there. Mm. Definitely. Um, and this was a huge part of, of my journey is working in, in my mind. And I want to be really clear for any listeners that have been told, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia is all in your head. That's not what we're talking about right now. Um, but certainly the way that we think influences how, how we are in the world and influences this stress cycle. And we want to actually address some of those thoughts and beliefs and experiences that um, leave us stuck and not completing the stress cycle that we're in. So it's definitely not that this is all in your head because it hundred percent is, is a thing. Um, mm. No doubt about that. Thanks um, Rebecca for great. Yeah. So important in that. Yeah, yeah. But the mind is, is so important. And honestly, I found myself, I did a lot of things like in, in my healing. So I went and saw so many different practitioners from like nutritionists, kinesiologists, chiropractors, massage therapists. Like I've got the whole team. Yeah. Um, behind me and it was really funny because I would I noticed that I would be helping people in in the clinic recover and, and they would be you know they'd come in and be like I just did a 5k run and be like amazing I can't walk my dog mm -hmm. <laughs> like there was just yeah, this realization yeah. that there was a bit of a gap where mm -hmm. I could see that they were certainly making all these incredible gains and it, there was something that I was missing because mm -hmm. I, I wasn't 
getting to that same space. Mm. I would call myself for quite some time about 80% healed. So I was able mm. to attend to work and manage things very like relatively well. Um, but I was still restricted in terms of uh, particularly my physical capabilities. Mm. And of course <laughs> it came down to my thinking. That was the part that I wasn't getting as much help with because I w- was in the kind of mindset I guess I'm a psychologist I can do that myself um yeah. well I'm familiar <laughs> with that one too yes. I'm a psychologist I can do it myself and like yeah anyway keep going. <laughs> and absolutely uh, like no no that's actually not true mm-hmm. um and so I did start to do some work um with someone but I also mm-hmm then started to actually apply a lot of the things that I would be helping other people in the clinic with to myself. I think there was a real um, a real time in my life where I, I just wasn't doing that work as much as I, I would have liked to. Mm. It just wasn't my time to be doing it yet. It was just mm. part of my journey, I guess. Yeah. Um, but in amongst that, what was really helpful was looking at schemas. So as you mentioned, um, I predominantly practice from a schema therapy framework and schemas are... I guess these these patterns that we have, we've all got them. Every single person on this planet has their own set of schemas. Um, and they're just these very, very present, very pervasive patterns that we have in, in the way we think, in our beliefs, um, mm. in our emotional experiences, in our um, in the way we feel in our body, in our memories, all of those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and they're, they're things that we typically develop in childhood we typically carry them for a long time in our life and they just feel like part of who we are. Often mm. we don't even notice them um, because mm. they're just how things have been for us, the way that yeah. we have been. And these these patterns, these schemas typically influence what we do and don't do. Mm. And one of the most common patterns that comes up, one of the most mm. common schemas that comes up for people in the space of chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and certainly was the case in my own life is unrelenting standards. Mm-hmm. And normally I just say that word and the people in front of me are like, uh-huh, <laughs> I know this is going to be me just mm-hmm. from that word. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. To a lot yeah. Of when you, when you, yeah give that title. Yeah, that absolutely. It's got it like packs a punch. Mm. Um, and so it unrelenting standards is, um, a scheme or a pattern in which we we try to we strive, I guess, to meet these really high standards of ourselves. Mm. So um, it's often to avoid criticism. It often looks like perfectionism, for example. Mm, mm. Um, there are often these rigid rules that are involved. So the language that we often hear with this pattern is like should, mm. must, have to, always, and so often people are holding these ideas of like, I should be doing that or I should be doing more, I need to do more and I need to do this, which carries quite a lot of pressure. Mm. Um, And there's also this preoccupation, I guess, with both achievement, so Mm. getting things done, this achievement kind of orientation and um, there's a sense of efficiency being important. So Mm. often there's quite a focus on time and getting things done quickly. Um, The whole to-do list that's there of many, many, many items, getting it done as fast and quickly as we can. So there's often quite a lot of rush, 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 Mm. which also communicates to the nervous system that we are not safe (laughs) because we are rushing from that tiger now. Um, And so that pattern is a really common one. It certainly was the loudest that I had okay. um, and had to work with. I don't know whether it was a similar experience for you and your burnout. Yeah, oh, definitely. The unrelenting standards was um, part of it and one I see very common amongst um, those I work with um, that, you know, certainly have conceptualised, you know, burnout or compassion fatigue um, and even vicarious trauma, yes. that secondary stress, um, secondary um, trauma stress. Uh yeah, unrelenting standards. And often, like you said, it sort of fits into that perfectionism because there's that high expectations that tend to be there and the standards are unrelenting. And I think you mentioned there too that um, not wanting to let down others or being like um, like that focus, sorry, on achievement, which often um, in the way I conceptualise perfectionism uh, or the not way I do the way like particular definition that I go by um, with perfectionism that comes um, from I think it's CBT so uh, way of conceptualizing it is those schemas yeah that you've just yeah um, 
you mentioned there. Um, and yeah, it was my, <laughs> always, um, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> yes, um, it's, it's, it's a way to help me to still be aware of that schema at play, you know, like, cause it's something I lived by without really knowing, um, well, or eventually knowing, but still behaving or responding as, um, for a long time. So, yeah, I say recovering just so I stay aware and keep yes. putting in places the things. But yeah, sorry, long answer to yes, I do. <laughs> yes. yes, and it's it's super common in this space. And unfortunately, you know, when we think about what this means for the nervous system, if we're, you know, always having to strive, if we're always having to do better, do more, it's it's kind of this do, 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 rush, rush, rush experience the message that we're giving our nervous system is we're not safe. Like mm. there is a threat that there mm. is something to be stressed about. Mm. And so we get stuck in that cycle through this experience. And it can be things like um, one example that comes up quite often is when people come over to somebody's house to visit mm. uh, and they might quickly clean the house to mm. you know from the floor to the ceiling and make sure that it looks really great for people to come into mm. um because underneath that there's some other stuff going on which we'll talk about in a moment mm. but if we're doing those kinds of things in all the spaces of our lives mm. then we're going to be over exhausting ourselves you know yeah. again that idea of uh, the demands that we have exceed our capacity because no human can meet these unrealistic, unobtainable standards. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog crying in the background. <laughs> uh, I, thought, I thought it was your cat. Was it um, moving around? Was your dog? A big greyhound. <laughs> oh, a big greyhound. Oh, that's cute. Yes, um, nice. Oh, you know, I can see. Um, yeah, so our own mind can trigger off, well, those schemas, to be more specific, and trigger off that stress response can um that there's a, a threat here that we don't feel safe because oh okay we've got to meet this expectation and so we're constantly on constantly doing and so yeah that's tapping that um system itself as well yeah. keeping us stressed and creating absolutely. or contributing to those those health issues yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and oh, we yeah, often you know. find sorry <laughs> so much to say about these things <laughs> yeah um we often find even when people do try to rest, when they've got this schema there, when they've got the unrelenting standards and they might know in their mind, like, oh, I do need to rest. I should be resting. Mm. This will be part of my healing for the chronic illness. When they're actually sitting there resting, mm. there's a big bunch of guilt because the actual dialogue that's going on in the head is, well, I should be doing something else. I should be yeah. doing more. I should be doing X, Y, Z. And we don't have that that kind of message that actually rest is really important. Actually, mm-hmm. rest is more important than mm-hmm. achievement. Um, yeah. Or we we deserve to rest without actually having you know mm. done all of the things on the to do list. All the of rigid those messages rule. are missing. Yeah. Mm. yeah, like yeah, there's a time for rest and there's a time for achievement. There's a time for everything, but the that schema at play. Um, yeah, creates, yeah, cre- uh, or contributes to that behavior or contributes to when you actually are changing the behavior and you are making time for rest or play or connect or whatever. It's like, well, this is not okay. You know, yeah, I should yes. be I'm not being productive. I hear that a yes. lot. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, working on that schema is so important as a result because even if you change your behavior and you're doing those things that are going to be great and really awesome for your, your central, your, your nervous system, it's not going to have that um, payoff, that really great sense of feeling safe and secure and supported. If in our mind, we're thinking this is bad, I shouldn't be resting. You know, I should be um, you know, meeting all those standards. standards. Yes. So, I mean, I might be jumping here and please, you know, um, certainly fill, fill in, but like, what what did you do to help like or what is something we we can do to because I, I know that schema work I mean it's something we do as psychologists and really helping people with um doing it's quite it, it it's like any behavioral change it's um you know learning noticing and being able to to change unlearn and, and relearn it's a process and often one needing to be guided by a professional to help you with that so yeah. his audience go out there but what yeah what did you do and what what is maybe something you know that that the audience could take away listener could take away um to start dealing with the, the schema yeah yeah like that, so part of it is definitely changing those behaviors so s- stopping or lessening the amount that we're maybe trying to be perfect 
Um, mm. Again, that, like, as you said, that's something that's usually easiest working through with someone's guidance as opposed to doing it on your own because a lot of stuff can come up mm. um, with those things. I often like to work with people on literally slowing down their body movements. So mm. sometimes with that rush that comes with the yes. unrelenting standards, you know, I'm sure many people will identify with this perhaps like pre having the chronic illness um, experience, but the pace of walking, it's often mm -hmm. this rushing around the shops and rushing to the car and mm. rushing to work and really like speeding past people on the street yeah. to get all the things done, to get everywhere on time, all of these things yeah. that unrelenting standards makes us view as important. Um, and so just taking it a little less quickly, mm. just slowing it down in the body can be a really beautiful place to start but mm. certainly if there are things that that we're doing in terms of the perfectionism in terms of you know you might be like over editing something that you're writing or um mm -hmm. over planning sessions I used to do that yes. one like because I had to get it right and it's you know my standards you know like it's um so I would over plan yeah yes or over attending planning. so many professional developments <laughs> that's something that I would do a lot of oh too. yeah yeah gotta so, learn it all <laughs> yes yeah like spend hours reading I remember yeah researching getting the right information um yes. yeah but that over planning so yeah so it's it's I love this like it's a yeah there's so much of that schema that comes out in our behavior and so mm. starting to make changes there and I, I love the whole um, even starting with that walking pace, like the pace to things and slowing that down. Yeah. Um, mm. um, we also have to be conscious because there's, I guess, the more obvious things like that where we're like, oh, I know that I try to clean the house from head to toe before someone comes. Maybe I could not do the windows this time around. Mm. There's there's those kind of behavioural things that we might be able to see quite easily. But there's also the the stuff that's underneath mm. the schema. So mm. unrelenting standards is what we call in, in schema therapy, a secondary schema. So okay. there's actually something else bubbling away under the mm. surface that's making us feel like we need to hold all of these standards mm. um, that we might have. So it can be really helpful to start to ask yourself some questions. Um, it might be, you know, if, if I didn't do this, if I didn't do this particular mm. thing, if I didn't clean the house from head to toe, what am I scared of? Like, what am I worried will happen? Um, mm. Is it that I'm worried that people won't love me, that people will leave? Mm. Is it that I'm worried that people will think I'm not good enough or that they'll see that I'm defective in some way or they'll think I'm a failure? You know, mm. what is actually underneath that mm. behaviour? And then we can actually start to... In schema therapy, we call it like reparenting. So we can start mm. to give ourselves some of the messages mm. that perhaps we missed out on when we were growing mm. up um, so that we can know that, hey, you're beautiful just as you are. Like I love all of you. You don't need to do all of the things to be worthy. You're worthy just because. Mm. Or like we were saying before, like you don't you don't have to earn your rest or mm. rest rest can absolutely be the priority or done done is good enough. Mm. Or it's better for it to be done um, and imperfect than to be perfect and be draining mm. you in the way that it is. All of these beautiful messages that we might need to be hearing for ourselves yeah, so that we can lessen some of those other behaviours that we're doing um, mm. over the top of that. So really, yeah, needing to, yeah, yourself having that knowledge that that is a secondary and there's something underneath and the underneath, it comes from that sense of um, needing to belong. Like I like or connect you know I think it's like that caveman because like one of the things in order to survive that we need as a species and still to this day we're innately drawn to is 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 a sense of belonging you're yes. being connected to others is a we're hardwired to survive in that way so what is what I'm you know feeding that um, secondary schema schema run relenting standards can be those things that keep us alert to not belonging you know like that um yes you know, needing to be liked, to love, you know, all those things um, that we look out for. And, um, yeah, like, yeah, and then that means, well, if, if we're getting a sense that we're not and we need to do these things throughout, we're in constant threat, we're in that fear mode. Um, exactly. In order to drive towards the need to to belong. 
uh yeah like it's just my but I love the solution there that comes from schema therapy I love that term reparenting and I have heard that I didn't realize schema therapy um, that's what they use it too but I remember someone I went to uni with they went into the um not sure if they're still in that field but alcohol and other drugs addictions and working in the centers there um inpatient and rehab facilities and she I remember her commenting once that often her work is really about reparenting really and it's the first time I heard that term and and yeah it was really beautiful I mean it was so long ago now but it always stuck with me so um because often yeah for whatever reason and there's many we didn't get what we needed uh at that time to feel a sense of self-acceptance right and kind of feeling that we are lovable just as we are um we don't need to um to change anything um change if you want to but you don't yeah you as a human being are lovable yeah yeah Yeah, without doing all the things yeah yeah yeah. you don't need to prove it you don't need to have someone else say that yes you're okay you know you're an okay person although that's sometimes nice but yeah you don't yeah yeah so it in savor 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 when right. that experience happens you know I I learned that I used to like shove any kind of compliments or or things away but there was a, a tool that was taught to me and maybe I picked up in cycle maybe when I've seen therapists but that that just you know start small just say thank you you know you don't have to you know, so, yeah change that behavior so behavior of acceptance even if you don't feel it um and in time yeah taking it in savoring it and yeah definitely more of that space now but hey so so needing with working with that schema is is it's certainly working on that more primary yeah yeah um and like I was just wondering if you could just maybe um one kind of technique because you know how you said you know it's about reparenting and giving yourself that love is there anything particular that a strategy that you may particularly lean on or that seems to work with clients that um to to tend to that to you know I suppose yeah creating that um to to reparent themselves yeah 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 it can just be practicing I mean in, in therapy we will often use chair work so we put like two chairs opposing each other and one might be the part of you that's that's in that struggle and the other's more the part that's reparenting. And you can imagine um, the most compassionate, most loving, uh, most gentle person that you know in the world and imagine them sharing with you what they would say about you mm-hmm. and really sitting and soaking that in. Um, and typically with people, I'll get us to kind of write that down or we'll record it so that you can listen to it again and again because the brain really needs that repetition to get those beliefs happening yes Um, shifting that schema yeah yeah Yeah. even just having like one or two sentences that you keep Mm -hmm. revisiting Mm -hmm. Um, and I particularly like to you know again I'm popping my hand on Mm -hmm. my heart right Mm -hmm. now for those who can't see uh, but to take a moment to really feel it in the body and feel what it's like to be loved or feel Mm -hmm. what it's like to hear somebody say those beautiful things that you might need to hear Um, but another way I guess that's quite accessible to do those things is through meditations Mm. Um, so on an app like something like insight timer for example Mm. um, there can be lots of beautiful things that might address some of those beliefs Mm. that you need to hear that can be really lovely and nourishing Mm. for people and that's such an important point that repetitiveness that we need because uh, that understanding we have now of that neuroplasticity of the brain that we can create and lay down sort of more uh, new neural pathways. Um, So when we feel that suffering because we're repetitively doing this reparenting strategy, um, that it it comes more naturally and more automatically. Well, that's my lay understanding, not being a neuroscientist or a neuropsych, but that's what I grasp from that. Um, But we do know, regardless of how that all works, that when we do something repetitively, a a new behaviour repetitively, it becomes more automatic. And and so that sense of safety and support that we can give ourselves um, there. And and I love how accessible those things are because coming back to, you know, particularly with people suffering from chronic illnesses like fibromyalgia and, and chronic fatigue, it needs to be something that's accessible to them to help complete that stress cycle or, or, be, or be able to even circumnavigate that so we don't get into that stress cycle of that schema pattern. And um, But also for people, I think, in that, um, in that early stages of burnout too, like I often find that 
finding strategies that are accessible to the energy levels currently because um, for some that I see it's quite severe and that they're not working and they they find it difficult to walk their you know um, get up and walk their animals um, so walk their animals walk their dog uh, <laughs> like what other animal do you walk I mean you can walk Could your cat I know people yeah you can like yeah hang on yeah you can do um, you know people carrying them in the backpacks as well you know get out there in nature with their animals so yeah so they can um, but yeah I just feel like it just gives that repertoire of accessibility of things so you know if exercise you know which I know gets you know and and, and movement you know that that um, you know going for a walk and things like that are certainly helpful um to complete the stress cycle but it's not accessible to everyone um yeah yeah so absolutely so i'm so really, big on that yeah accessibility definitely yeah, yeah. and What's meeting smallest, us yeah. Oh, sorry yeah. I can, no you go yeah oh, i keep interrupting you oh, <laughs> i do want, the same to you <laughs> what is the smallest easiest simplest step that you can take mm. right that that's i feel like i say that 24 7 mm. if, we're, if we're looking at this particular thing what's the smallest simplest easiest step that you can take right now towards that goal so yeah we might want to get rid of the unrelenting standard schema but we can't do that all at once and that might feel too much to do some of the things that we could do but what's the smallest simplest easiest step we can do right now with your energy levels where they're at and let's just focus on that because as you said just doing that is going to be building those neural pathways Mm. And we can keep building towards the bigger picture over time. Yeah. And that's what over time uh, starts to quieten that that schema, doesn't it? Well, that's my understanding. Yes. Yeah. That we're not attacking that on the forefront or trying to change it like that. It's more about we're over here and we're doing, we're noticing that, we're aware of it, we have more of an understanding of its presence and how it shows up. But we're over here doing these steps that are helping build a new pathway, a new, um, yeah. Um, way of existing that just lessens this is probably my act acceptance everything but lessens the volume of all of that um over time uh exactly. yeah there's so much um in, in what you shared um with us today Rebecca in terms of that richness of of that connection or just the interplay of of um well chronic stress which I mean burnout is a chronic stress syndrome but yeah. looking at chronic illnesses and through your own personal but also and your professional um, experience of working in that area just so that interplay of it all and and how to start responding to that as well to to um yeah manage um the stress within the chronic illness space but then also from that schema which is another thing that can be happening for you know um you know certainly people with chronic illness but um also burnout as well or both um uh, as as we know but yeah, how to work with that mind. So really appreciate all that richness and, and information that you've um, yeah, given us um, today. And I was just wondering, is there anything else, you know, that you want to leave the listeners with um, all those watching as well? Like anything, um, any last wisdoms to share? Yeah. yeah um, one would be get as much support as you can. Mm. I know it can be really hard, especially letting go with our unrelenting standards part. We want everything to be done really well and often we feel like we're the people to do that. But as much support as we can get around us is really beautiful. And if you can just start asking yourself, you know, what is this communicating to my nervous system when I'm doing this behaviour, when I'm thinking this thing, when I'm believing this thing, what is that telling my body? And could I do it in a different way that helps my nervous system hear safety? Mm. And that can be just a really nice place to start for healing with the mm. chronic illness. Thank you. I love that. That um that can hear safety, you know, that my nervous yeah. system can hear safety. Um, again, that bringing up that um that relationship. There's me here and there's my my um health, my illness and and what I can do for my body and mind that is is feeling that at the moment to help her feel safe to feel supported and it makes me think of that parenting bit because that's often what we need from our caregivers when we're young and and so vulnerable um is is having an environment feeling safe feeling safe enough supported enough secure enough um, absolutely giving ourselves that yeah oh beautiful well hey how could people um that would like to and i'm sure they will get in touch with you or connect with you is is yeah how how would they be able to do that rebecca yeah, yeah they can um if if anybody's looking for therapy 
Um, I'm at Nourish, Heal and Grow Psychology. Um, so email is admin at nhgpsychology.com.au. More than welcome to reach out there. Um, and if there are health professionals who are listening to this and thinking, mm-hmm. gosh, I am in that cycle. I so know what that's like. Um, and are wanting to create more of a sustainable career and a sustainable mm-hmm. life, um, then you can contact me at Sustainable Therapists. So um, I'm on Instagram at Sustainable Therapists and Facebook at the same. Um, and you're more than welcome to email me as well at sustainabletherapists at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Rebecca. And just to check too, you mentioned that you're telehealth. Does that mean you um, people all over Australia or where? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. In terms of connecting with, yeah, yeah, yeah. anywhere. Oh. Happy to see mm. you. Oh, lovely to hear. Um, well, yeah. from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing everything that you have with us today and sharing of yourself to your own story. I really appreciate that as well. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to When Burnout Becomes Reality podcast. This pod relies on the power of its listeners to push it out to the four corners of the earth in hope that it reaches as many people in need as possible. So please like, share, follow, comment or leave a review. Pay it forward and I will be forever grateful. If you'd like to share your burnout to recover experience or you are an expert working in the burnout field and would like to share your wisdom on the pod, please email me at shannonswales at burnoutpsychologysupport.com. To keep up to date with episode releases, please follow us on your favorite podcast provider or by joining our mailing list for at www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com. To check out the Burnout Psychology Services on offer at Burnout Psychology Support, my telehealth practice, visit www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com forward slash psychology services. Once again, thank you for listening and please take care of yourself. Bye for now.